0: And selfishly, why I do what I do is that I love waking up to emails from my students every day saying, Emily, my insomnia is gone. My IBS is gone. I got off my meds. I haven't had a panic attack.
1: That's Emily Fletcher. And this is The Depression Detox Show. And welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Friday. Thank you so much for joining me today as we close out this week's episodes with a talk by one of the leading experts in meditation. She is the founder of Ziva Meditation and the creator of the Ziva Technique. And today she's going to break down the big difference between mindfulness and meditation. And she's also going to share how meditation and mindfulness has changed her life and also how it can change yours. Here's Emily Fletcher. Enjoy.
0: I was on Broadway for 10 years. It was amazing. It's what I wanted to do since I was a child. I mean, since I was like eight years old, I was reading the newspaper in my mother's bathroom on the floor. I saw an ad for the theater and I was like, oh mom, I need to go there. I'm going to be an actress. And I knew it like eight. Um, So anyway, I thought that once I got on Broadway, that my whole life was going to be sunshine and roses. I mean, I was picturing martinis with Liza at Sardi's and instead it was like girls eating tuna fish out of a can and complaining about their bunions. And I was like, this is not my dream. And So I thought that my my happiness must be in like the next Broadway show, or like the next boyfriend, or the next agent, or the next zero in my bank account. And I did that. I was in what I call the I'll be happy when syndrome for about 10 years. And then finally, my last Broadway show was a chorus line. And my job was to understudy three of the lead roles. Now, if you don't know what that means, it means you show up to the theater and you have no idea which character you're going to play that night. So sometimes I would start the show as one character, and halfway through, they would switch me to a different character. Um, Or I'd just be chilling in my dressing room doing my taxes and someone would get on a loudspeaker and be like, Emily Fletcher, we need you on stage. And I would start panicking because I wouldn't know which costume to put on. So I would just grab all three of my leotards, run down seven flights of stairs. Someone would put me in an outfit. And then I'm not kidding you guys, sometimes I would be on stage before I knew who I was. I was like, oh, there's no Val. So I guess I'm Val and just into tits and ass. Um, I was not a stripper. That's the name of a song. Um, (laughs) So... It was basically leading to like a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And I started going gray at the tender age of 26 years old. I started having insomnia. I couldn't sleep through the night for 18 months. I started getting um, sick and injured. And I was, to be honest, I was embarrassed about my performance. And this is like, so you're like, mm, poor little Broadway star. So it's not a complaint, but it is really embarrassing to be on stage in front of 2,000 people just sucking and knowing that you're sucking and there's like, nothing you can do about it. And then the worse you are, the worse your sleep is, and the worse your sleep is, the worse your performance is. And it just became this spiral of anxiety. And finally, I was like, this is not me. This is not who I am. This is not what I know I can do in the world. And so thankfully, this amazing woman was sitting next to me. She was understudying five of the lead roles, which to this day, I don't know how she did it, but this woman was crushing it. Every dance, every song, every bite of food was a celebration. She'd be like, oh, this is sensational. Uh, She was Australian. Meditation does not give you a bad Australian accent. And I was like, "Um, excuse me, what do you know that I don't know? And she said, I meditate. And I was like, oh, God, one of you. I was like, you know, just probably rolled my eyes. and Because this was 11 years ago. There was not the neuroscience then that there is now. Now, you guys in this room might have already been on the tip by then, but most of the world was not. I certainly was not. And so I didn't believe her. I just kept sucking at my job, going gray and having insomnia. And then finally, I was so embarrassed. I thought, I thought well, I got to try something. So I went along to this intro to meditation talk. I liked what I heard. I signed up for this course. On the first day of the first course, I was meditating. I had no idea what that meant but I was in a different state of consciousness than I had ever been in before and I liked it and then that night I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months and I have every night since and that was almost 11 years ago Then I stopped getting sick. I went eight and a half years without getting sick. And then I had my bachelorette party, and I really earned that one. (laughs) Um, I stopped going gray. I'm 38 years old now. I have, like, two gray hairs, which I promptly pluck out. Um, But I was legitimately going gray, like, 10 years ago. Um, I stopped getting injured, but most importantly, I started enjoying my job again. I started performing at the level that I knew I was capable of. And so I thought, why does everybody not do this? It's so... Delicious feeling. It's so easy. It's not that expensive. And it just changes every single part of your life. So I left Broadway. I went to India for a while, not 10 years. (laughs) I'm not that hardcore. Um, And I started, um, and then I started Ziva meditation, which has been the best thing I've ever done. And people ask me if I miss performing. And the answer is no. I'm still performing. I'm using, I'm just using now my lifetime of performance training, but more directly to help other people. And selfishly, why I do what I do is that I love waking up to emails from my students every day saying, Emily, my insomnia is gone. My IBS is gone. I got off my meds. I haven't had a panic attack since I started meditating. I broke up with that ding-dong head. I started writing that book. Uh, this is my new favorite one. I got a $120,000 scholarship that I did not apply for. <laughs> um, those results are not guaranteed. Um <laughs> I think you actually have to apply. Um, But if you apply, your chances go way up. Okay, so that's my story. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about the three M's. What are the three M's? Mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. And these three M's have really become the the trifecta that is the Ziva technique, which is what I teach. And and I want to start really by focusing on the difference between mindfulness and meditation because a lot of us are using these terms as synonyms and they're not actually the same thing. Okay. I mean, how many people have heard people just use the terms mindfulness and meditation interchangeably, right? So here's how I would define mindfulness. And P.S. I'm sure you ask another meditation teacher and they will give you another definition, but just see if you like this one. (laughs) Um, So mindfulness, I would define as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Beautiful, right? The art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Um, Now, Most of the apps out there, most of the YouTube videos, most of the drop-in meditation studios are, are teaching what I would put in the category of mindfulness. So anytime you are directing your focus, anytime you are doing a guided visualization, anytime you're focusing on your breath, counting your breath, visualizing your chakras, imagining a waterfall, I would put that in the category of mindfulness, right? Waking state, left brain practice. And you're directing your focus. Now, this is an interesting time to be alive because neuroscience is catching up to what these Indian dudes have been saying for 6,000 years. And uh, now, not only can we prove that meditation is good for you, but now we can start to prove how different styles of meditation are impacting the brain differently. So in mindfulness, where you're directing your focus, a smaller part of the brain lights up very, very bright, right? Which is sort of indicative to how mindfulness is helpful to you. If you practice mindfulness, you notice that you get very good at, like, focusing on tasks. You get very good at, um, like, putting one foot in front of the other and being very present where you are right here, right now. Now, mindfulness is also derivative of styles of meditation that were originally made for monks, right? And I actually think that it's why a lot of people think that meditation is hard because people like us, and if you think you might be a monk, you need to talk to me because I'm going to send you on a different program. Um, but people like us, people with busy minds and busy lives, people who live in society, if we're trying to practice styles of meditation that were originally designed for monks, then it feels sort of hard and it feels a little bit like, why can't I clear my mind? And why is this so... Ugh? And like like Mia was talking about, she was just like frustrating and fidgeting and just like, I suck at meditation and I quit. Um, so if... So mindfulness is a little bit more disciplined. We're coming back, we're coming back, we're coming back. And a smaller part of the brain is lighting up, but very, very bright. But mindfulness, what mindfulness is best at is dealing with your stress in the right now. Like my boss yelled at me today, I got a little stressed, let me listen to my app, I feel better in the right now. Like I have a headache, I take an aspirin, I feel better in the right now, okay? That's the first M, mindfulness. Now let's talk about the second M, meditation. And I want, for a moment, I'm going to ask you guys a favor, and I want you to take everything you've ever heard about meditation, and I want you to throw it out the window just for these next few minutes that we have together. Let's just go into this with beginner's mind and see if we don't learn something new. Again, if you, if you disagree or you think I'm full of hogwash, then that's fine. You don't have to accept this for the rest of your life, but let's just see if this makes sense to you. Meditation, as I would define it, is basically when we're accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness. So different than waking, different than sleeping, and different than dreaming. Okay, right now, hopefully, I haven't put you to sleep yet, hopefully right now we're all in our waking state of consciousness, right, which is different than where we are when we're sleeping, different than where we are when we're dreaming, when you start to cultivate a meditation practice, you actually move into a fourth state of consciousness, okay? And in this state of consciousness, the right and left hemispheres of the brain start to function in unison. And this is important because your left brain is in charge of the past and the future, and your right brain is in charge of the right now. I'm going to say that again. Left brain, past, future. Right brain, right now. Left brain, critical thought. Right brain, creative thought. Left brain, I suck, I suck, I suck. I'm in a dialogue with cats eating my face. Right brain, write that book, call that guy, start that company. Okay, So we actually want to have both of these guys functioning at the same time, right brain and left brain. So when we start meditating, we're accessing this fourth state of consciousness. Um, And when I say that it's like a verifiable state of consciousness, what I mean is that if you were to hook your brain up to an EEG machine, which is electroencephalography hardware, there are eight classic points on the right brain and eight classic points on the left. And in waking, sleeping, and dreaming states of consciousness, the right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning separately. But in this fourth state of consciousness, all 16 leads of EEG rise and fall in unison. Which I think is a pretty cool party trick that you sitting quietly in a chair could actually change your brain signature, but why would I want that to happen? Well, everyone should, right? Because left brain is past future, right brain is right now. We want these things talking to each other. Now, when you start meditating... Instead of a small part of the brain lighting up like it does in mindfulness, the whole brain lights up, and that starts to increase something called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change itself. It also increases something called neurogenesis, which is the brain's ability to generate new brain cells. Okay? And that's happening because you have like this whole brain cohesion happening when you're doing this practice. Okay? So again, cool party trick, but why? So when the whole brain lights up, the right and left brains are talking to each other, and that strengthens and thickens something called the corpus callosum. Now, the corpus callosum is the white strip that connects the right and left hemispheres of the brain, and we've known for a long time um, that meditators have thicker corpus callosums than non-meditators, but we weren't able to prove if it was causal or correlated. But now we know that the longer you meditate, the thicker this thing becomes, which suggests that it is in fact causal. It suggests that it is the meditation that is thickening the corpus callosum. So great, why would I want a fat corpus callosum? Um, Because it is the very thing that allows you to come up with a creative problem-solving idea even in the middle of a high-demand situation. Okay, so your boss is yelling at you, you get kind of stressed, and like, it's like, uh, I don't know, I'm sorry, uh, goodbye. Um, or you get into a fight with your partner, and it gets pretty heated, and then it gets really heated, and then eventually you just like, shut down and retreat to the bedroom. And about two hours later, you start coming up with all these hilarious, witty comebacks, and you're like, why? Why couldn't I have thought of that in the moment? Um, well, my hypothesis is, is that the thicker your corpus callosum is, the easier it is for you to come up with all those witty comebacks when it counts. right? Because none of you guys care how hilarious or amazing or enlightening I was last night in my hotel room when I was making my notes for this doesn't matter. It matters how well I perform right now. And we really need the combination of left brain and right brain happening simultaneously. Also, I don't think that nature makes mistakes. And if you look at a human brain, it's actually 50-50, right? Why would nature have given us 50-50 if it wanted us to use 90-10, and yet, that's what most of us are doing. We're thinking, we're taking action, we're achieving, we're making money so we can be happy in the future. We think, we take action, we achieve, we make money so we can be happy in the future. And meanwhile, our poor little right brain is over here like, I have a creative idea. <laughs> I have a suggestion, you're like, shut up, right brain, I gotta think and take action, achieve and make money so I can be happy in the future. And so, what we start doing, I'm gonna take a little water break now. Um, <laughs> actual workout, I don't work out too much when I'm pregnant. So, what we do when we meditate, um, and again, this is like Emily Fletcher's definition of meditation and what I teach at Ziva, is that you're given a mantra. Okay, now this term mantra has also been hijacked by the wellness industry. A lot of people think that the term mantra is like, I'm a strong, angry woman, or like, I want a million dollars. And I would call those affirmations, if you want to be a strong, angry woman, or um, or slogans or log lines. And those are really powerful tools as well, but I just wouldn't call them mantras. Mantra is actually a Sanskrit word. Man means mind, and trap means vehicle. So a mantra is actually a mind vehicle. And these mind vehicles are custom designed to de-excite the nervous system. They're custom designed to take you into more subtle states of consciousness so that you can start to access your bliss and fulfillment in the only place that they reside, which is inside of you. Right? And every spiritual text has been saying this since the beginning of time. What you seek is in you. The kingdom of heaven is within And that is a beautiful intellectual concept to get in your brain. But it's a lot more powerful to be able to experience that every day, twice a day, physically, viscerally, in your bones, in your cells, in your body. And that, in no uncertain terms, is what meditation does for you. It's giving you access to your fulfillment inside of you. Now, that's sort of like the esoteric definition, but what's happening neurochemically is that within 30 to 45 seconds of you starting, your brain and body flood with dopamine and serotonin. Now, dopamine and serotonin are bliss chemicals, so that feels nice when it's happening, but if that's all it did for you, then it's no better than any other drug, right? You just want to feel good for 20 minutes, you could go take some acid or something. It's a lot longer than 20 minutes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not that I would know, you guys. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So <laughs> what I'm saying is if you just want to feel good while you're meditating, that's just escapism. And if you want to escape, you could drink some wine. You can watch some Netflix. You can, there's, you know, there's lots of things you can do to just escape. I don't think we meditate to escape. I don't think we meditate for the sake of meditation. I think we meditate to be better at life. No one gives a crap if you're a good meditator. And I'm really mad about that because I'm very competitive and I really would like to be the world's best meditator. No one cares. <clears throat> really, nobody cares if you're a good meditator. Everybody cares if you're good at life. How kind are you? How compassionate are you? How present are you? How's your sleep? How's your sex? How's your parking karma? How creative are you? Did I say that? Probably. Um, so parking karma is really good. And it legitimately gets better when you start meditating. You're just like, hmm, thank you. Um, (Laughter) <clears throat> Ah. so what we're doing right is that we're using tools and you could use a mantra there are other tools that you could use but I like using mantras right and you de-excite the the nervous system you de-excite your body and you induce not only that fourth state of consciousness that I was talking about you not only access that bliss and fulfillment inside of you but you also start to get rid of a lifetime of accumulated stresses Okay? Um, Because when you give your body the rest that it needs, when you're giving your body that deep healing rest, rest that's two to five times deeper than sleep, then the body knows how to heal itself. And one of the things that it heals itself from is stress. Okay, And not only your stress from today, but all your stress from the past. That dog that barked in your face when you were 10, your parents divorce when you were 12, that breakup when you were 16, that college you didn't get into, that job you got fired from, uh, that stuff is stored in your cellular memory, like it or not. Every Taco Bell you've ever eaten, every Jack Daniels you've ever drunk, that's in your cells. (laughs) And so that stuff has to go somewhere. And and in my experience, when you practice meditation, when you give your body this deep healing rest, you're handling not only the stress from the right now, but actually purging and creating a catharsis from all your stress from the past. And that's actually the thing that up-levels your performance capabilities. So the analogy that I like to use here is that of a computer, Okay, so if you imagine your brain as a computer, um, every single time you've ever been stressed in your entire life, it's left a little open window on your brain machine. It's something called a premature cognitive commitment, or a PCC, and by the time the average human is 20 years old, we have approximately 10 million PCCs in our brain. 10 million. So let's just imagine you're at work one day typing an email. And you're like, I'm going to take a break. I deserve a break today. You open up a little Facebook, a little YouTube, a little Twitter, a little Instagram, a little Vine, a little Hulu. And let's just say for the sake of argument that you could open 10 million windows on your computer. And then your boss walks by and you're like, oh, crap, let me pretend like I'm working. And you go back to type an email. And the cursor is about 20 spaces behind. And you're like, "Oh, stupid computer. Can't even type an email. It's like, well, actually, that computer is plenty capable of typing an email, but if you're using all of its computing power to run those 10 million irrelevant windows, then you don't have the full computing power for the task at hand, right? And this is exactly what stress is doing for us. I get some pushback on this because I like to work with high performers. I like to work with high achievers. Um, So far, I've taught Oscar, Grammy, Tony, Emmy, and Golden Globe winners to meditate, uh, which I'm really proud of. Um, So I I like to work with people who are like doing big things in the world and I get pushback from them. They're like, Emily, I need my stress. Like my CEO clients are like, Emily, I need my stress. That's the thing that gives me my competitive edge. And my actor clients are like, Emily, I need my stress. My hurdy poos, that's where my art comes from. And I'm like, no, false. This is BS. I call BS on this. Stress makes you stupid. <laughs> really, truly, stress makes you stupid. I'm going to make a t-shirt soon. Um, it also makes you sick, and it makes you slow. Okay. Um, there's some new science coming out from Harvard Medical School suggesting that somewhere between 80 to 90% of all doctor's visits are related to stress. 80 to 90% of all doctor's visits are stress-related. Scientists are calling stress the black plague of our century. So we could complain about that and we could stress out about people being stressed. Or we could start lighting some candles and we could start meditating. We could start up-leveling our own state of consciousness to contribute to upleveling the collective.
1: Big thanks to Emily Fletcher for stopping by. Her website is zivameditation.com. That is also her IG. And her latest book, which I just picked up, is entitled Stress Less, Accomplish More Meditation for Extraordinary Performance. And if you like this clip, there'll be a link to the entire talk in the show description, as well as all the links to connect with Emily and her company. And that is a wrap for me. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I hope you have an amazing, amazing weekend, and I will see you back here Monday. So until then, stay strong. Later.